Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I am not up to the task to go uh, into the depth of what we're going to go into today. Lord, I, I need your Holy Spirit. I'm asking for your Holy Spirit. Lord, your people come because they want to know what you have to say, what your word has to say about reality, about their lives, about their futures. Lord, this is deep stuff. Lord, this is, this is not just something like the, uh, Isaiah 40, like, a, like the rest of the world, like a flower that just fades. No, Lord, this is right now, right now is having impact and import for the rest of our lives, not only in this world, but for all of eternity. So, Lord, those things are too grand for us to even understand. And we would ask that you walk with us through these passages of Scripture, your vibrant, alive word over the next few minutes, and help us to grow closer to you and have a, a more profound understanding of who you are. But we will never come to the depth and to the end of who you are, Lord. That is an inexhaustible well. But we thank you in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you ready for this? Now, we're doing a series. Uh, anybody have a tissue or anything? Not one person has a tissue. This entire thing. There you go. We're just a family here, right? A family. I'm sorry. I have multiple tissues. I feel like, I feel like now we've got a... Uh, now we've got a uh, thank you, sir. Thank you. You think I'm going to use these for some uh, demonstrative purposes. I'm not. <laughs> sending, sending Cody off is not an easy thing. She's part of the family. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We've been going through this now for a few weeks, and we're still not very deep, but that's uh, far along here. But in some ways, we're very far along. Uh, I, I got a lot of feedback from last week. Some of you said, I had no idea what you said. Some of you said, uh, boy, that was really, re that was important to me because we never talk about this kind of stuff. We just read over it. Predestination, election, foreknowledge, these are, these are complicated topics. But I want to read the first uh, three verses again one more time. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Jesus, grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has, now catch this, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We're going to spend some time there over the next few weeks. Every spiritual blessing. We said a few weeks ago that this is not necessarily material blessing. These are spiritual blessings that are had by us in where? In heavenly places. Elsewhere we'll see Paul say, and you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. What does this mean? What are these heavenly blessings? Well, we're going to get into some of them. Some of them have to do with your inheritance. Now, everybody's into inheritance, aren't we? I mean, I remember... Um, uh, these various movies that you get because somebody gets written out of the inheritance or they're written into the inheritance at the last minute. Some of those nasty preachers who get into the, those little old ladies and then they turn their whole will over to some of the, you know, some of those scandalous kind of things that you get, pictures of that at various points. Uh, inheritance is a big deal in our day, isn't it? I mean, you know, we, we call them the, this whole, did you realize that there will be trillions and trillions of dollars 
that will change hands just over the next few years. Baby boomers began to not only retire, but the first end of those, some of those baby boomers, 1946, over the next 10, 15 years, not all of them are going to live forever. And a lot of that wealth that was built up will be inherited by new generations. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. How will that money be used? And so we think of inheritance. So it's, it's, a, it's a big deal, inheritance. It's a big deal. That's one of your spiritual blessings is an inheritance but it's not just money and it's not money it's the whole cosmos as we're going to see over the coming weeks today i want to go back i i know you said i i thought you finished with this whole predestination thing i i thought we went so deep into that how can we go more deeply i think it's important that you recognize apart from this idea and we talked about it last week of arminian view and calvinistic view and those different views and i kind of told you where i was Apart from that, I want you to see predestination as one of your spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I think the understanding and the teaching of predestination can take you through some very, very difficult times in your life. Very difficult times where you think, where is God in all of this? You were predestined. For us to understand predestination, we need to understand, because it's hard, especially as you talk about election, because we talked about election, and we're going to look at these three issues, foreknowledge, election, and predestination. They're actually three different things. First of all, God has foreknowledge. It's impossible for God not to have foreknowledge. You ever thought about that? I mean, the very nature of God suggests that God is not subject to time and space. In other words, God is eternal. Psalm 90, I believe, verse 2 says, from everlasting to everlasting, God is eternal. He's not, we cannot, it's impossible for us to get that into our heads. I know it is mine, that God is eternal. He is both in our future, he's in our past There's a simultaneity to that. I mean, I can't get that because I've always lived in time. I'm always waiting for tomorrow to happen. God's not. God's eternal. God, catch this, God will never, ever learn anything. Kind of sounds strange, didn't it? God will never learn anything. He knows everything. He is omniscient. He's never caught off guard. He's never caught by surprise. He has foreknowledge of everything that will take place. It's impossible because of where he is. He is transcendent. He transcends time and space. The strange thing is that he's both transcendent and he's imminent. The idea of imminence is a theological term to suggest that God is also engaged in life on earth. And he did that primarily through Jesus. God is active imminently in the earth. He is imminent. He cares about what's going on. And yet he's transcendent. Put those together. It's one of those other, it's it's one of those theologians like, which is it? Is he imminent or is he transcendent? He's he's both imminent and transcendent. Well, what does the Bible say? Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know you. I know the plans that I have for you, right? Plans for welfare, not for calamity. Let me say that again. I have plans for your welfare and not for calamity. You say, well, wait a minute. There's been a lot of calamity in my life. 
I, I don't always feel like God has my greatest welfare at its core. Again, let's talk about spiritually, eternally, your welfare is secured. You are predestined to the adoption as his kids. And I'm going to give you a future and a hope. And some of that future and some of that hope lies beyond the screen from where you move to this life to the next. We think about Stephen, for instance, who was stoned very early on, one of the early Christian martyrs. What a great deal for him. He heard the Christian message. He believed in the resurrection of Jesus. He became part of the faithful. And what happened? He preached a little sermon and he was stoned to death. What about welfare? What about no calamity? What about a future and a hope? Oh, there's plenty of welfare. There is no calamity. There is definitely a future. He's already living into it. And the hope, he doesn't have to hope for God anymore because he can see him face to face as purchased by Jesus on the cross some 2,000 years ago. But most of that went beyond this life and into the next. So have you ever thought about that? God electing people, now this is a big deal we're going to talk about this morning. God electing people, choosing people, appointing people to eternal life is based primarily in, now catch this, in his foreknowledge. Why? Because it's impossible for God not to have foreknowledge because he's not part of time and space. He can see. Now think of it like this, and I've used this example many times, but you can think of it like a parade, a Macy's Day parade. And he's up in the blimp. He can see the beginning float and the marching bands and each thing. And we're sitting on the corner watching each one parade by in front of us because we're relegated to time. God's not. He can see the, he can see the beginning and he can see the end. And he can see the end from the beginning as we see in Isaiah 46.10. God is not subject to time. So you can't, he's never going to learn anything. He knows the decision you're going to make before you were created. And this gets down into the juxta of it. So how can you have election? Because God can look down. Now, again, he's not looking ahead because he's outside of time and space. But because of his foreknowledge, what can God do? He can see who responds. Now, my Calvinist friends will say, no, I, I don't think that's right. That's more of an Arminian view. But I think if you, from our perspective, God's looking down through the corridors of time and he sees who responds to the gospel message. Now, again, I, I know that this doesn't solve all the problems, but it helps us understand that there is a biblical foundation for God electing people. And part of that, at least part of it, is due to his foreknowledge. Why? Because he's God, and he's not, again, subject to time. A day is a thousand years to God, and a thousand years, well, it's just like one day to God. Because, and we can't feel that, can we? Can you get down that in your feelers? Can you get that in your DNA? I can't. I just can't. It boggles my mind to know that in some way I was elected before I was even formed in my mother's womb. But God, because of his foreknowledge, can look down again and see your whole life. So catch this. Based on foreknowledge, God brings in the idea, brings in the idea, he elects, appoints, chooses. And as a function of choosing, he then predetermines, if you will, the life you will live, the gifts that he will give you. 
to accomplish the task for which he has appointed you. So we are predestined. When we get in Ephesians chapter 2, you're saved by grace through faith and not of works. It's nothing you've done, but because you've believed in it, he's now going to move you later into the works that he's called for you. And that's, of course, from our perspective, living in time, a very important understanding of what that is. Do you know what you've been called to do on the earth? Do you take it seriously? Or you just kind of fly through life as if, you know, you just kind of pick stuff that you're, that you're just impressed with at that moment or something that you want? Do you, do you allow God to direct your life into the calling that he's already predetermined before you, before the foundations of the earth? You, we saw that again in the conversion of Paul, who was Saul. I will show him all the great things he will have to suffer for my name. And Paul started out, as we saw in Ephesians 1.1, by the will of God I was chosen, not based upon any of my own merit. It's not because I was a good guy. So let's go into the text a little bit. How do we know that God is immutable? How do we know that God is complete? How do we know he doesn't change? How do we know that? I want you to go to in your Bibles if you have. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. Malachi, the very last book of your Old Testament, that great Italian prophet, Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6, for I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Do you change? I change a lot. I mean, I've changed views about life. I've changed, I mean, obviously there are physical changes that are going on all the time. You learn more, and then you learn that what you thought you knew wasn't right, and then, you know, you, we evolve. We, we, we're, we're not immutable. God doesn't ever change. And this presents some issues for us in the text because at various points, You'll, say, you'll see something to the effect of, and then God changed his mind, or God was, it was dependent upon man, and it sounds like God's changing. I don't want to go too, deep, too deeply into this because this is a very complex topic, but it's called anthropomorphism. And what it does, sometimes the prophets, because we do live in time and it's so difficult to understand God, there is an application of human qualities or tendencies to a God that's clearly immutable. Now, if God, I, I can tell you right now, if God was not, if all these verses didn't exist, and then it said God changed his mind, do we have a contradiction here? No, most theologians would agree. That's called anthropomorphism. It's just our, from our perspective, he's changed his mind. Obviously, he didn't learn anything. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And this is an issue that's called open theism. And I will, with all my, and I will put my foot. I don't put my foot down on a lot of things. But on this, I put my foot down. Open theism is, in its very essence, heretical. Why? Because open theism suggests that God is in the process of learning because he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen in the future. And there's just too many scriptures, and we'll look at some of them this morning, that suggest that God does never change his mind, and he is omniscient, and he has foreknowledge. And why? Because he's, again, eternal. And when I get into this eventual series that I'm going to do probably in January, when we get to science, we're in, in trying to reconcile science and faith, which is a tough one, uh, but in some ways it's very easy. When we begin to get into that series, it's going to be important to understand that the very idea of creation 
salvation is very much dependent upon having somebody outside or something or some power outside of time itself because time had a beginning. And so something had to be eternal as being the first cause. And so if you ever try to put something first cause that's within creation, you have a problem because you're going to say, well, what caused that? Okay, then what caused that and what caused that? Some people say, well, what caused God? Well, nothing caused God because he's outside of time and time had a beginning. And this is what Einstein helped us understand. So when we look at this, open theism says God's on an ever-learning curve. He's on, he's on a learning curve and he doesn't know exactly. He's free will and, and all this, and, but he's in the process of, of discovery himself. And we know from scripture that that's just not true. James 1 Verse 17, for instance, he is not a shifting shadow. There's no variation in him and no shifting shadow. Every good thing given, okay? And every perfect gift is from above. Okay, we, that's what we're talking about. These spiritual, give, these spiritual blessings are from heaven above. They're coming down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation and there's no shifting shadow, God, again, speaking to the immutability of God. He doesn't change. And then lastly, Numbers 23, Numbers 23, verse 19. Let's get some text here. Let's get some Bible that tries to speak to these issues. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man. This is in, in, if you have NASB, which I teach out of, it uses a slightly different word, repent here, but the, the uh, NIV suggests this, he's not a son of man that he should repent. He, has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Now what this really says in the NIV, if you have any NIV, it's and God's not the son of man that he would change his mind. Repent and change his mind if you go back into the Hebrew, essentially the same thing. He's not a, he's not a son of man that he's going to change his mind. So God doesn't change his mind. How would he change his mind if he has all foreknowledge? If he understands everything and he'll never learn anything, why would he change his mind? Because to change your mind suggests I was wrong and now I've discovered a right trail here. Therefore, I'm changing my mind. God doesn't change his mind. That's who we worship. And having access to the immutability of a divine mind, you don't think that's a spiritual blessing? What do you put your hope in? I was playing golf with a guy the other day, or hitting balls, and I think I was hitting balls. I don't even remember what it was. I get out. I try to get out once a week, at least just to hit some balls for an hour or something. And I like to go out there because it's just an unbelievable place. Because like, it's like just people just talk, and it's like Paul used to go out into the streets. That's my streets. You know, I just go out into the streets. Everybody's in a car now, so you can't go out into the streets where people are walking around, talk to them. They'll but you can go to a driving range. You can go somewhere and just start, start up a conversation. And uh, I was with a very successful guy. I mean, it was a, a multi-good billionaire, you know, kind of guy. And uh, he was talking about the horoscope. And do I, do I know anything about horoscopes? And, and all that. But he was looking for something. He was looking for something because the world seems like it's just in so, it's just so, such turmoil. And it's so much change and everything that's going on. And just depending on what side or how you view it or what your worldview is, everything is, seems like chaos right now. And, and yet, it always has seemed that way. If you'd have lived during the time of World War II, you'd have thought it. the whole world's in chaos. Why, why are the nations divining, uh, why are they uh, devising a vain thing? 
And why are the nations in an uproar? Uh, Psalms. Psalmist said that. Well, because they always have been and they always will be. But God is unchangeable. And he doesn't change his mind. One of your spiritual blessings is that you are tapped in. You have access to his mind. He tells us in Isaiah 55, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Oh, that's too bad. Well, how will we ever know about God? He's revealed in Christ, which is what we're going to get over and over in Ephesians chapter 1. All of our blessings come in Christ. You see it over and over at least five times. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. All your blessings come in Christ, in Christ. So let's talk a little bit about foreknowledge. I want you to go, if you have your Bibles, to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. And let's look at something here. He starts with Babylon and their idols, Isaiah 46. Bel has bowed down. Nabo stoops over. These are two of the gods of the Babylonians. Uh, their images are consigned to the beasts and the cattle and the things that you carry are burdensome, a load for the weary beds. They stooped over. They've bowed down together. They could not rescue the burden, uh, but they themselves have gone into captivity. Now listen to me, O house of Jacob. Now listen to me. Now these were his chosen people. We know that, and then in Christ, we too are chosen. We can apply this to us. All the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from birth. Now catch this. It's going to give us some insight. And have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I shall be what? I'm the same. And even to your grain years, I shall bear you. I have done it. I will carry you. I will bear you. I will deliver you. Now, can I just tell you something? As a chosen, elected, by the foreknowledge of God, predestined human being on planet Earth, is that nice to know that that is part of your spiritual blessing in Christ, I've done it. I will carry you. I will bear you. I will deliver you. To whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be like? I mean, in other words, who in the world is outside of time that can do that, that can make that kind of promise, that can prophesy and predict and tell you exactly what's going to happen in the future? Who, who has that kind of ability? Show me. If you go back to Isaiah 41, he had just completely castigated these guys. Why? Because they were going out and cutting down a tree and burning some of it by, in a wood pile and, and for a fire. And then, and then they'd built it into an idol and then they'd bow down and worship it. He said, Does this, just take one of your idols. Please tell me, idol, tell me what's going to happen tomorrow or what yesterday meant. Just please give me some insight so that we can know that you're God's. Obviously, he's saying that in a very facetious way. Those who lavish gold from the purse and waste silver on the scale, hire a goldsmith and make it into a god, they bow down, indeed they worship it, they lift it upon the shoulder and carry it, they set it in its place and it stands here, it does not move from its place, though one may cry to it, it cannot answer, it can't deliver them from anything. 
These idols, now you say, we don't have idols today. We don't have, what are our modern day idols? It's anything in the created order. Where are you hanging your hat for your ultimate hope? That's my question to you this morning. Is it on anything in the created order? Is it on your money? Where you live, your intellect, your education, your parents, your lineage? Is it based on something that you read the experts said? Is it based on, please tell me where you're hanging your hat about reality and then how then you should live. Where are you hanging your coat or your hat? Where are you putting, what, are, what hook is it? Please tell me, please tell me, this is what God is saying here, please tell me it's not somebody that is in constant flux in change themselves. I believe in science. I don't believe in religion. Well, that would look pretty stupid about 100 years ago if you hung your hat on science, knowing what we know today. Hang your, ha- hang your coat and hat on science 250 years ago. Or in 50 years, what will we look back today and go, can you believe that? Because it's in constant flux. God, not so. Who's your idol? Who do you bow down to? And then listen to the next part, because this is powerful. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to your mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. In other words, I have foreknowledge. It's not hard for me to tell you what's in the last float on this timeline, or in the beginning float, or to make sense of it. It's not hard for me. And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country, truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass, I have planned it, surely I will do it. Now in some senses, this contextually, is the Babylonian captivity that will come in well after Isaiah is gone. He's going to call a bird of prey from the east to accomplish his plans. He's already, orda- he's already ordained it. He has the foreknowledge that he has done this, therefore he's predestined it. Based on his foreknowledge, based on his understanding of the decisions people will make, this is what we get to in Romans chapter 9 where, you know, the question is, it's kind of a rhetorical question. Paul's going back and forth and saying the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh, you know, he... The Bible says that God hardened his heart. How can Pharaoh be culpable? And Paul then just kind of goes back at the end, and I think he's alluding to foreknowledge. How do you know that God didn't spend a lot of time working Pharaoh over in his own heart? But obviously God, in his foreknowledge, knows Pharaoh's decision, and then based on Pharaoh's decision, he becomes part of his plan to not let his people go so that he can demonstrate his power through Pharaoh. Now, I know if you're my, smoke coming out of my ears yet? I know it's challenging, but these are actually part of your spiritual inheritance. I want you to get that. Don't miss this. The fact that you worship some power, some force that is outside, transcends time, is huge. Please tell me you're not worshiping anything that we can only find in time that's only imminent, and that is not transcendent. Please tell me. Because anything here, we know from the law of entropy and 
just sitting next to our friends? You, you, have you been back to a, a reunion lately? Anything change? You get there and you go, what are these old people doing here? I'm here for my, I'm here for my reunion. And they're saying the same thing about me. You know. We change. God, not so much. 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 and 2. Listen to the language of foreknowledge here. To those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen, they're elected, according to what? How are they elected? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Now, some of these, you take these intros and you just kind of go right through that and you miss what's there. This is loaded. You're chosen by the foreknowledge of God and yet it's also God doing the work because it's the sanctifying through the Holy Spirit based upon the blood that was shed in, in the redemptive process. So it's all packed right in there. God chooses based upon his foreknowledge, and yet he's doing the work. So you say, well, are you saying that we bring something to the table? I am. I do. I, that's why I'm not, I cannot say I'm a five-point Calvinist. I do believe we bring something to the table. We respond. It's his grace. It's his provenient grace. It's all of that. I believe that with all my heart. But I do believe at some point you have to make a choice. And you say, well, in the cosmic realm, you know, it's something different. But we don't live in the cosmic realm. We live in time. And from our perspective, I have to make a choice, not only for myself but as we'll see in a minute, based upon my predestination, I have to make a choice whether or not I'm going to walk into the calling that God has on my life. I believe I make those choices every day. If we go on down, 1 Peter, again, chapter 1, verse 20. Now it's talking about Jesus. Now I'm going to really blow your mind. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Who? Jesus was foreknown but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, through Jesus, your believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So I'm going to ask you a question. Did Jesus have a choice to go to the cross or not go to the cross? We know God had foreknowledge, but Jesus is God. Now, this is where it gets really tricky. So, but he was, as we saw in the councils from a couple of weeks ago, Jesus was all, also fully man. He was fully man and he was fully God. In what way was he fully man? Hebrews chapter 4 says that he was tempted in every way we are, and yet he was without sin. How can he be tempted if there was no opportunity for him to choose as a man not to go to the cross? I know these are tough. But it was already written in stone because it was already in the text. He was slain before the foundations of the world, the Bible says. He was predestined to go to the cross. Jesus had already made that decision both as God, because they were his ultimate plans, and I believe he had already made that decision as a man in time and space again. Now we can debate the all the depth of that, but I'm just telling you, if he was tempted like I am, I'm tempted with a choice to say no. And so ultimately, as a man, I think he also had to be tempted 
is a man to say no. And we see that also right there in the Garden of Gethsemane. If it was a done deal and everything and praying, Father, would you, you know, would you remove this cup from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Did Jesus make a choice there? Well, it was already predestined because it was already written about him that he was going to go to the cross. We know that. Our whole church name is based on that, right? Exodus 12. He was the unblemished lamb that we apply the blood of the, to the doorposts of our life, and it becomes a red door, and choose that door. We know that Jesus was going to say yes. He was foreknown. He was elected. He was predestined to walk in those works. So what about this issue of election? Chosen, appointed, called. Romans 8, 28. Many of you will know this very well. Again, it packs in this triumvirate of this beautiful picture of God's immutability, his foreknowledge, his unchanging nature. And through that, his inability not to know everything, both past, present, and future, he then elects, and out of that election, he then predestined us, each one of us, individually. This is where it becomes, we both have a calling as a church, and we have a calling as individuals, being part of that church body. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes, God's doing the cause, all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, foreknowledge, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. So you were predestined to become conformed to His image to be conformed to the image of Jesus means not that you physically look like Jesus, but that your spiritual, the totality of who you are spiritually begins to conform. And as a result, you become obedient to the Father. And because the Father does have a plan and He's predestined works for you to walk in, conformity to His image means that you're starting to walk into His calling for your life. At least that's part of it. So that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus was the pattern for which we should then be copying that pattern through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also, he justified. And these, who, and those, and these whom he justified, well, he's also glorified them. What then shall we say to these things? I mean, I want you to get that this is such a blessing in your life. It's unbelievable. I, I, if you walk away from anything, not just an understanding. As I left it last week, I don't want just a theological understanding of this. I want a worshipful response to the blessing that is God's foreknowledge, His election of you if you've embraced Jesus and can believe into Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and then his predestining you to become part of the plan that he's already put in place before the foundation of the earth. And if you can't see that as being a blessing, a spiritual inheritance right now, then I'm not doing a good job, and maybe I'm not. But this should be invigorating. This should be life-changing. Tell me, please tell me it's not just something on this earth that you've set your heart and your mind and your eyes. Move beyond. If God is for us, when you're, when you're talking about this plan, can anybody be against you? 
They may kill you. They may, they may take your money. They may take your reputation. But in an ultimate sense, what can man do to me? What can man do to me? can't do anything to me at all. For he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? We'll get into this in the next few weeks when we talk about us being co-heirs with Christ. An inheritance in the air, in hair, in air, a tense. We are co-heirs with Christ. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect, those that he's chosen? And then finally, predestination. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. So when they'd been released, and this is after, obviously, Pentecost, they'd already preached the first sermon. After they'd been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David your servant said, this is what David prophesied, why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ or Messiah. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, now catch this, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Now catch this. And what did they do? To do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Are you with me? You spoke through David. A thousand years before the time of Jesus. Why are they devising this futile thing? And yet Paul says here, you have predestined, not Paul here, uh, Peter here. He said, you have predestined God to go to the cross. Again, it gets back to, it was already written. David was talking about it. And now the Lord take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders to take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place that they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Do you see that they saw this as a blessing? The predestination of God, to go, God the Son to go to the cross on their behalf? And they recognized it all of a sudden? And what could they do? <laughs> Just begin to worship. What response can you have to that? Oh, Father, we get it now. You, this has always been your plan. Nothing, in fact, well, you are the God of all foreknowledge. And, and you've elected us. You've chosen me out of all the people on the planet. You've chosen me along with this beautiful family here. You've chosen us collectively as the church. To walk out this calling just like Jesus had, this is unbelievable. He was the light, now we've been called to take the light. See, once you understand, now catch this, God's foreknowledge leads to his election. God's election then lays the foundation for him predestining us to a certain life. And then that predestination leads to your destiny. Your destiny in Christ. You can have a destiny that's not in Christ. Or you can have a destiny that's in Christ. Your destiny involves you. 
and your volitional will. I'm sorry, I, I cannot be all the way over in the five-point Calvinist camp. You have a volitional will. And this is called your stewardship and the stewardship of your life. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Now, for this very reason, reason now listen to how he's going to provoke their volitional will here. I'm asking you to absorb yourselves in these things. Remember, Paul told Timothy the same thing. Absorb yourself, Timothy, in your calling so that your progress may be evident to everybody. Now Peter's saying the same thing. Because these things are true, what kind of people ought we to be? I mean, if this is true, if we're elected before the foundations of the, of the earth, do we say, I'm elected? Now I just go back to my life and I live the kind of life I want to live. Even though it may be in stark contrast to the life that God wants me to live. That, that just is, that's a non sequitur here. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Peter's saying the same thing. He's saying, now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. Yeah, it matters how you handle your physical body. Don't be, don't be sleeping outside of marriage with other people. Don't, don't do that. Your body matters. Your moral fiber matters because you're elected. And in your moral excellence, supply knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. Be conformed to the image of Jesus. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. One of the greatest things I ever hear about Church at the Red Door, ever. And one of the things that will grieve me the most. Now, we'll make mistakes. We already have. We'll, we'll do all kinds. But if I can hear this, when I come into Church at the Red Door, I feel a spirit of love and brotherly kindness. That means a lot to me. We talk a lot about that. I always ask people when they come, to, what did you feel? What were you drawn to? And if they don't say a spirit of love, if it's just teaching or just this or just that or just child care or this or that, or I like where you meet or you happen to be close to me, I mean, those are all reasons. But ultimately, if you don't feel loved, listen to what Peter then says. He says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities, now catch this, these are powerful words. If you're not pursuing this moral excellence and this, and this perseverance and this brotherly kindness and love, then what are you? Blind and short-sighted. You can't see beyond this. Your whole world revolves around you. It's like people on the airplane, you know. They don't realize that there's a hundred people trying to load the plane and they're there. And they, they, they can see about this far, just up to their bend. And they'll take that. I'm going to take out my peanuts that I'm going to need. And here's my I'm a pen. No, I'm not going to use that pen. I'm going to use this pen. When everybody's standing behind him trying to load the plane, they, they can only see this. They're short-sighted. <laughs> Having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now catch this. Therefore, brothers, listen, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Does God need to be certain whether he's called you or not? No, he's, he's never learns anything. We've established that, I hope. You need to know it. Why don't you make certain about your own faith? Do you have faith? Do you believe in Jesus? 
These qualities should be increasing in your life so that what? You can make certain about his calling. God doesn't need to be made certain. He knows whether or not you are or not. We need to see. And that's what I get back to. Our perspective in time versus God's perspective in his transcendence and outside of time. Our perspective is choice. And I need to make sure that I'm certain of my own choosing. That God's chosen me. And I think that's what Peter's going to. Now, let's go down to verse 12. Therefore... And we're gonna, I'm going to show you a clip. This is going to blow your mind. I just love this story. Don't you love when God just shows up? In a, like I was typing this into my computer this week. And I had stopped just down below here, verse 15. And I, and I felt a prompting to call one of our regional guys that was just retired in Texas for links. And just ask him how he was doing. And then we were just about to hang up. And he shared this story with me. And I'm going to share it with you via a clip. And it's pretty cool. But it fit exactly with what I'm talking about. I was just pretty, I was pretty straightforward there. Blind and short-sighted. I'm just reading the word. But let's not be, right? Now listen to what he says. Therefore, verse 12, Peter's saying, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. And have been established in the truth which is present with you. Now listen to what he says. I consider it right. As long as I am in this earthly dwelling, in other words, as long as I'm living, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will also be diligent that any time after my departure you will be able to recall these things to mind. Now what he's saying is he's saying, as long as I'm living, I know some of you know this stuff. But I'm going to come up here with my big spoon, and I'm going to stir you up. I'm going to get you riled back up. I'm going to, you know, I had a hard week, and I don't know if Jesus, you know, this faith. I didn't thought. I hadn't read my Bible this week. I, had, I really, you know, I'm going through some real struggles, and I, it's hard for me to even think about God. And I'm going to come in here on a Sunday. I'm going to, some of this stuff you guys have heard me teach, or you've heard me, but I'm going to come in here with my big spoon. I'm just stirring you up. And I consider it right, as long as I'm still living stir you up. Well, I had just typed this into my computer, and I, call, I had felt this prompting to call my friend Randy Wolf, and we were just about to hang up, and he goes, I got a great, I, you, I said, yeah, I always ask him, he's a great storyteller. I said, Randy, you got a good story for me? He goes, I got a great story for you. He goes, one of our dear friends, Gene Abe, who uh, is part of our, some of our Lynx Fellowships, uh, I believe it's the da- Dallas Athletic Club there in Dallas. And uh, this guy, there's a guy down in Timpson, Texas. Everybody's been to Timpson, right? That somehow, he was a truck driver by trade. It had, a, had an impact on Gene, I guess, at some point in his life. And, uh, and Gene's words were, he just told it like it was. There was no sugar coating. There was no, you know, just try to get everybody on a pillow all the way to, you know, just, I mean, just he just preached the word. He just... And, and I was thinking, yeah, it's just stirring them up. He was just a stir them up kind of guy. Well, it was his very last sermon that he was ever going to preach. And uh, he, he was struggling with some COPD. And uh, this pastor, Larry Stegall. And so Gene said, I just felt we needed to drive. So it was a couple, two, two, two hour, two and a half hour drive. He said, my wife and I just, we just wanted to be there for his last sermon. How many people are normally at Larry's church? About 20. 
But on that day, it was a big day, there were about 40. People had come, and they had, his daughter had decided to film it. They never had any kind of uh, live stream or anything like that. And, and good old brother Stegall was ready to go out with a bang. He was going to stir him up to the very end. And then let's play that clip. I'll let you get a sense of what's going on. Welcome back, everyone. On Sunday, Brother Larry Stiegel stepped up to the pulpit at the First Christian Church in Timpson. Now, he was preaching his last sermon before retirement. But while the church was setting up for his party, the unthinkable happened. Just 10 minutes after Brother Larry's last sermon, he was dead. KETK's Matt Thibodeau has more about his legacy. So I'm here to uh, bring you the message that I believe Jesus had called me to bring to you. I spent a whole 30 minutes on this, so I'm going to tell you what. Uh, there's some good stuff in there. Larry Stiegel's niece asked for his last sermon to be recorded before he officially retired. Little did she know it would be the last time anyone heard his voice. Brother Larry had COPD, and after preaching, he often needed to sit down. We, uh, we sat him down in a chair, and he sat there for probably 10 minutes or so, and he never really did uh, get his air, you know, his full strength like he normally does. And Larry just fell over. And my son called. <laughs> my son called him. My son called his physical body, and, my, and Jesus called his spiritual body because he was dead already. Brother Larry worked in ministry for 46 years and preached on and off in Timpson for 10 years. In that time, he earned a reputation for being caring, hardworking, and always positive. His prison ministry that he had was very important to him. And he was, he would tell them just exactly like the Bible said it. He wouldn't sugarcoat it or anything else. He spent many days at the Bradshaw State Jail in Henderson, which led to laughable phone conversations at home. I'll tell him when he gets out of jail. <laughs> or somebody called me and say, we're trying to get out to your dad. I said, well, he's at prison, and then but he's ministering out there. When Brother Larry's health declined, he was unable to continue his prison ministry. It was something that hurt him, but hurt the prisoners he ministered to even more. And evidently, they thought a lot of him because they gave him cards and stuff when he had to quit. But children were Brother Larry's favorite. Those who knew him say he was a proud grandfather and an even prouder great-grandfather. We have one great-grandchild. He adored her. He came over the house and just dropped down the floor with her and started coloring her, and, and it was hard. He had aches and pains just like anybody that age, but he never said, I can't do it because I'm too tired or I'm, I hurt too bad. He just dropped down there and started coloring. We got a picture of them, and uh, you don't really realize how much that means until someone's gone. And those who know him know he left a void that will never be filled. I told him a couple of Sundays ago, I said, Brother Larry, you spoiled us all, you know? And because he was just like a member of all our families. We've been married 55 years and I've never been to church without him. That's going to be hard. May we apply the word to our hearts that we read from the scriptures. Truly help us to make road for Jesus. In the end of our lives, he might take a coat and bring fruit that will change the world. Matt Thibodeau, KETK News. Now the family has invited friends to a celebration of life from 1030 to 1 on Saturday. It will be held at the South Main Church of Christ in Henderson. This is not my last sermon. I'm not preparing for my last sermon. But is that awesome? I mean, I had ju I just typed it in. As long as I'm living, 
I'm going to stir you up. I'm going to tell it like it is. I'm going to, as best we can, I mean, we do this imperfectly, but I just thought that was powerful. That was powerful. Are you going to go until the very last? So in closing, by the way, I'm going to read his final prayer. Uh, This was his very last prayer he ever prayed. He says, may we apply the word to our hearts that we read from the scriptures. Truly help us make room for Jesus in the end of our lives so that he might take control and bring truth that will change the world. That was his last spoken word from the pulpit. Sat down, uh, my friend said that Gene Abe came up. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you preaching the word and telling us like it is. And they were there, and, and, and then he just, he was there, and he just closed his eyes, and he fell back. Just unbelievable, isn't it? Now, in closing, understanding the predestination, understanding your election, and understanding God's foreknowledge, all mix that together with God's sovereignty, which really this speaks to, why are, you afraid about, why are you afraid of death if you are? Why do you work so hard? Why are you, maybe some of you, terrified of death? That's what Jeremiah says, and this goes in. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated. That just means to set apart. I consecrated you. I have appointed you as a prophet. To the nations. And he's talking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, this was all a setup job before you were even born. It's not fair. You can't believe in election. You've got to believe in free choice. It's both. He was clearly elected. At some point, he made a choice to steward his life in such a way that would glorify God. Did God know that he would make that choice? Of course he did. He's got foreknowledge. How could he not? And then lastly, Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Some people say, well, I don't want to go to Israel because I'm afraid. I'm like, look, you are bulletproof until God, until God's appointed time for you. I believe that with all my heart, and yet I also believe that I make choices about whether I'm going to exercise or eat right and all these things. How can you live in the tension? I just do. Because I'm not transcendent. I don't live outside of time. I know I have to make choices in this life. But I also have the spiritual blessing of knowing that what in the world can man do to me? I'm elect. I'm chosen. I'm appointed. And now that I might work out my salvation... What God has worked in me, I want to work out. I take it very seriously. Every day is a serious matter about living into God's calling. Not just being saved, living into the fullness of God's calling. That's called stewardship. So in closing, we, I want you to, let's worship. It's, and this is maybe some of you might consider this. I consider it a very worshipful song. Lauren Daigle, I love her, right? But... You'll look back and through your highs and through your lows, you'll realize that it really was God who was carrying you in many ways along. Let's close with this and I'll close in prayer.